Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. You know, I um, there's something wrong with me in that I really like embarrassing people. And, um, <clears throat> and one of our students uh, soloed this week and... I'm really proud of him. Quentin, uh, you're back there somewhere. Quentin, stand up and let everybody say congratulations. Congratulations to Quentin. That's a big deal. I told him, I said, what did you do while you were flying? He said, I flew the plane. I said, oh, no, not me. I wrote a song, and I sang it while I was flying. Lord, don't let me die today. And... <laughs> And my seatbelt, I forgot to fasten it, and it was dangling out the door, and all my friends that were there to watch were waving at me, and I thought they were encouraging me, but they were basically pointing out my stupidity. And, uh, but anyway, that's a big deal, and I'm really proud of Quentin. He's been working hard for that. Um, <clears throat> today, we're, we are going to, we're, we're in Romans. We've been studying that for a while, and um, today we're going to do a little deep dive, and so I want you to... Uh, have your Bibles, whether you do it on your phone or whatever, and let's just follow with me. We're going to start in Romans chapter 8, verse 3, and um, we're, just, we're going to dig deep into this, and we're basically going to talk about what it means to be a Christian. Just what does that mean? What does that imply? What does it look like? So let's start by reading verse 3. I'm going to pray first before we do that, and because the, the person who inspired these words, who gave these words to those who wrote the words, is the same person that lives in us. So every time you study the Bible, you should pray, you know, Holy Spirit, as you have inspired these words, illuminate these words to me. So think about that. The same Holy Spirit that wrote these words, gave them to those authors years ago, that same spirit lives in you and he will, he will open it up and explain it to you. And that is where we get the deep meaning of these passages. Romans, the reason we're studying through Romans uh, is the most theological book in the Bible. There's so much theology cram packed in here that's important for us to know. And so I hope today you'll be challenged and you'll be encouraged. So let's read beginning at verse three. The law of Moses, which was the 10 commandments, the law of Moses was unable to save us. In fact, the 10 commandments were not there to save the Israelites. It was there to show them their need for salvation. The Ten Commandments were to show them how far they were from God's holiness, and it was showing them the need for a Messiah. And so he says, the law of Moses was unable to save us because nobody can be perfect, don't even try, because of the weakness of our sinful nature. Now, he's talking to believers. So even as a believer, you still have that sin nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body, like the bodies that we sinners have. 
And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us. Wow, thank you, Jesus. And so that sin nature is still there, but it no longer has control. Before I became a Christian, I had that sin nature. I was born with that sin nature. I was born with that sin nature and I, I inherited it from Adam. We've read earlier about how uh, Adam is how sin entered into the world. And, and, and this is why it is so important that Jesus was born a virgin, not of man. Because had he had an earthly father, if Joseph had been his biological dad, he would have inherited that sin nature. And he would have been born a sinner. And he would have been disqualified to have gone to the cross and die for our sins. So this is why the virgin birth is so essential. The Holy Spirit had Mary impregnated. So Jesus came from humans. He came from a mother so he could identify with us and we identify with him. He said he sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end of sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. So when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, yours and mine, it ended the penalty of sin, which is death. It took that away. And it ended the control of sin over us. Now, can I still sin as a Christian? Absolutely. Absolutely. But I have a choice. See, before I became a Christian, I really did not have a choice. I was a slave to sin. But after I became a sinner, oh, I was born a sinner. After I became a Christian, God broke that power of sin over my life. He broke it. I'm still a sinner, but I have a choice. I can never, ever say the devil made me do it. As a Christian, Satan cannot make you do anything. He can accuse you. He can set traps for you. But only you decide if you're going to go in that trap or not. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Verse four, he did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us. Wow. I mean, I, I, that verse is just stuck in there, but that is such an important verse. God was not willing. He, I mean, he was God. So he could have just said, I tell you what, I'm just going to wink at your sin. I'm just going to do away with it. I, I'm just, you know, I'll just pretend like you didn't do it. He could have done that, but then when could we have really trusted him? You see, God said, his word said, sin leads to death. That's the penalty. And God was unwilling to change his word 
even at the expense of his own son. He was willing to let Jesus die, pay the penalty for my sins, and he did it out of love for us. Now, this gives me incredible confidence. If God was unwilling to change or violate his own law to save his son, then I can trust all of his promises. I can trust him. Like, for example, if you confess your sins, you're forgiven. If you ask Jesus in your heart, he comes and he saves you. He seals you. And one day you'll spend eternity in heaven with him. I can trust every one of those promises because God was not willing to break his own rule even at the cost of his son's life. This is why this is so important. That's the kind of God we are following. He loved you enough. He loves you so much. He was willing to sacrifice the ultimate so that you could be a part of his family. So he said, the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. So now I'm at a crossroads. I've got the sin nature that controls me. I came to the crossroads of Jesus. I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, but I still have that sin nature, but it's not in charge. I can still choose to sin, but I never can ever blame it on Satan. He cannot make you do anything. He has zero power over you. So now he's talking about this literal flesh that we have, and our flesh, I want to, it just desires things, right? I mean, think about this last Thursday. It just desires gluttony. Jesus identified with sinful people so that he could be our representative and redeem us. And as a sacrifice for our sins, Jesus was the sin offering that brought forgiveness for you and me. And the requirements of God's law was satisfied. So here's the bottom line. You will never, ever be good enough be accepted by God. Never. You'll never be good enough to enter into God's kingdom. But when you accept Jesus Christ, God made you good enough. In fact, he declared you righteous, which means right standing with him. He declared that you are in right standing with him because of Jesus. That's what he did for you and me. And this is why this is so important. So here, here's what I want to do. I want to walk through the differences between a believer and a non-believer. So let's talk about the differences. Number one, unbelievers have a mindset on natural desires. That's where their mind goes to. 
They just have these natural desires, this fleshly desire. That's where their mind hangs out. They're drawn to it. They cannot get enough of it. Regardless of what it is, whether it's a drink or a drug or the physical, it's like you just cannot get enough. You are drawn to it. Your mind is set on it. You dwell on it. You think about it. I've had drug addicts that tell me that when they wake up, the very first thing that comes into their brain is, where am I going to get my drugs today? It controls them. It consumes them. Now, for a believer, our mindset is set on the, what the Spirit desires. So I've, I've changed where my mind lives and I want what the Spirit desires for me. Now, my old nature still can get pulled in this direction, but my, my want to has changed. My desires have changed. Romans 8, 5. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature, they think about sinful things. In fact, the Bible says they even invent new ways to sin. Have we seen that in our lifetime? Oh my goodness. I mean, it's like they're just coming up with more and more ways of, of, of just living a depraved life. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. Now, how often do I deal with this sin nature? Every day. Jesus put it this way. He said, you've got to take up your cross every day. And a cross was not for fine jewelry to wear around your neck. A cross was meant for death. And so Jesus basically said, you've got to die to yourself every single day for the rest of your life. It's a daily decision. So every morning you should wake up and say, okay, God, today I die to self and I want to live for your spirit. I want to live in your spirit. It needs to be a conscious decision every day and not to decide you will automatically be drawn more and more towards the things of the flesh. And the less you think about God's spirit, the more you think about the things of the flesh. It's in your nature. You were born with that. But praise God, it doesn't have to control you. You can choose to let it control you. Secondly, your lifestyle. <clears throat> Unbelievers have a lifestyle. It's, it's a lifestyle of death. It's one of death. It, it leads only one place. It leads to eternal separation from God. We call it hell. The Bible calls it hell. It's being separated from God for eternity. So this is talking about a second death. There are two deaths. You have a physical death and you have a spiritual death. If you're a believer, you will never, ever experience a spiritual death, the second death. You will experience a physical death but not the second death, the spiritual death. That death comes when God brings final judgment and he takes those who've accepted Jesus into his kingdom 
and those who have rejected Jesus, they die that second death. Now, here's what's different about it. Every, phys every one of us face that physical death, and it may be a long process, but when the end comes, it's done. It's over. The body ceases to exist. Spiritual death, it never stops. It is a continual death. It's hard for us to imagine that because we think of the body in a finite way, but you cannot do that. You have to think of the spirit. Your spirit, everybody, your spirit is going to live forever, either with God or apart from God. And if you're apart from God, then that's called a spiritual second death, and it is a death that never stops. That sounds horrible. And there's nothing comparable to it. Nothing. So as a believer, your lifestyle is different. Your lifestyle is one of life and peace. Romans 8, 6. So letting your sinful nature control your mind, it leads to death. This is a different kind of death now because this is talking to believers. As a believer... When I focus on sinful things, there's some things that die. My witness, my influence, my reputation, it dies. I had a minister friend who called me recently and he just said, Don, I, I messed up. And he shared the story with me, and I agreed with him. I said, yeah, you really messed up. And he said, well, what do I do? I said, one, this is serious enough. You've you got to go tell your supervisor, you know, the person that's your boss at the church. you got to go tell them. Otherwise, you're, you're just going to be eaten up with guilt. And... Got to be prepared. You're probably going to be fired. But I, I, know, I know who your pastor is, and he's a dear friend, and he's going to be gracious, and he's going to get you the help you need. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. He was let go, but they got him in counseling. They're helping him. And I actually called the individual yesterday. I said, hey, tell me how you're doing. See, I don't need to call him and remind him what he did was wrong. I don't need to call him and beat him up. He's already done that. I need to call and encourage him and give him hope. You know, I reminded him that God has already restored him in a right relationship with him. And then he may or may not restore you back to that specific ministry, but there might be other things that God will choose to do through your life. So now my job is to encourage him, to help him. But in that lifestyle, it led to a death of a lot of things that were important in his life. Romans 8, 6. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. 
Now, peace here does not refer merely to the peace of mind. It's also referring to the opposite of death. It, it implies this state of being that you're in with God. You're at peace, not with just yourself, but you're at peace with holy God. Number three, unbelievers, they have an attitude that is hostile towards God. I don't know about you, but I am seeing a drastic increase in this. People that are just hostile towards God and the people of God. And the Bible actually says that that will increase as time moves on to its conclusion. I recently watched a video of, uh, they were at some of these rallies and they were interviewing people and these were believers that were interviewing people hoping to find a positive way to share the gospel. And these individuals that they were interviewing just would spew hatred towards holy God. And, and they were talking about how could God let this happen? How could, and they listed all these reasons, all these things. And, and you know, and the person say, well, wait a minute. God did not do that. Man did that. Man is the one that rebelled, not, not God. You're blaming God for what you have chosen to do. Romans 8, 7 says, for the sinful nature is always, always, always hostile to God. Always. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. Your sin nature, stop trying to make it better. It's not going to improve. Learn to put it to death. It's almost, you've heard the illustration probably about having two dogs in your life. <laughs> and one's, you know, whichever one you feed the most is the one that's going to be the stronger dog. And so you need to feed that spiritual side of your life and let that sin nature side of your life starve. When you flirt with sin, it's not long before you're in a full-blown affair with sin. Doesn't take long. One of the things that um, I, I think that a lot of people deal with is just getting locked into watching one video, these 30-second videos after another. And have you, have you ever sat there, I mean, if you really want to shock, go into your phone and look at your screen time and see how much time you really spent watching all those videos. It's a little embarrassing. I mean, I, 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 I'm talking about myself, and I'll sit there and say, but I've got to send this one to Mary. She'll love this one. This is funny. I'm going to send this to the staff. They'll like that. And... <laughs> Eventually, they start saying, how much time do you spend watching? <laughs> Ladies, hey, if you haven't figured it out yet, this is why your husband's spent a lot of time in their bathroom. Um, and um, so the longer you spend time in it, the more you become addicted to it. That's just the nature of sin, right? The more you do it, the more addicted you are to it. 
and it becomes a temporary sense of satisfaction. Very temporary. I remember one time, I, I was like, oh, this is, this is called sin because it's robbing me of my time in praying and spending time with God and, and being an encourager to other people and talking to people. Maybe it's a form of hiding from life. You ever thought about that? Maybe you're, you're just avoiding life by getting drawn into all of that. Your sin nature cannot please God, but your spiritual nature is pleasing to God. So, unbelievers, you cannot please God. It's impossible. But believers, they do please God. Romans 8, 8. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never, never please God. It's impossible. So let's, let's just take the rest of our time and talk about the key characteristics of a biblical Christian. What does it really look like? Number one, a biblical Christian is someone who has accepted Jesus into your life. Now, that may seem like a no-brainer, but you'd be surprised at how many people avoid that step. And they think they're a good old Christian boy because they go to church, and they're not because they've never truly accepted Christ in their life. And when somebody, when I ask somebody, I said, when did you become a Christian? When the first words out of their mouth was, well, I've always been one. No, you haven't. Well, I, I've always been in church. So, when did you become a believer? It's a moment. And you may not recall the exact time and day yet. You know, I don't think that's essential. But it is a moment when you make a definitive decision, yes, to Jesus. That's when you, you become a biblical Christian. Number two, it's accepting Jesus' resurrection. Why is that so important? Well, to deny the resurrection of Christ means you're doing away with the very thing that allows you to be saved. You see, Jesus raising, the Bible says the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that saved you and raised you from a sinful life. So if you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus, I don't believe you're a biblical Christian. You're denying the very power that would, would save you. So a biblical Christian believes in the resurrection. Number three, a biblical Christian is filled with the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit? Well, it's the Spirit of Jesus. You are filled with the Spirit of Jesus. That Spirit is the power that raised Jesus from the dead. It's the power that created the heavens and the earth. It is the power that gives life that lives in you. And as a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit, number four, being a biblical Christian, you produce the fruit of the Spirit. You produce the fruit, singular, Let's, let's read that, Galatians 5, 22. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit, singular, 
And then it tells you all the different parts of that fruit. It's kind of like an apple has a a skin to it, has the meat to it, has a core, it has seeds, it has a stem, but it's one fruit. And, And so you have the Holy Spirit. You've got one fruit that produces itself in you. The Holy Spirit actually produces it. And it has all these different parts to it. So you don't pick and choose which one you like. It's all of them. And so the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. I like the fact that it's the Holy Spirit that produces it. I'm just the vine. Now, I don't know. I can't identify trees. But if I see fruit on it, I know exactly what kind of tree it is. People should be able to identify you as a believer because of the kind of fruit that's hanging from your life. The kind of fruit that the Holy Spirit is producing through your life. And and here it is. Here's the fruit. Love. Unselfish love. Love that thinks about others first. Love that loves God with great passion. Love that cares enough about a person to risk their rejection by sharing, the, by sharing Jesus with them. That comes from this fruit. Joy. Joy is never based on circumstances. Joy is based on a relationship. So it, even in the worst of times, if you have the joy of the Lord in you, the joy of your salvation, that's a good sign that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. But if you are looking for your circumstances to determine your joy, you've confused the word joy with the word happy. There are a lot of times I'm not happy, but that does not affect my joy. Love, joy, peace. Not only peace with God, now this does not mean you're a pacifist, But this means you're at peace with yourself. You're at peace with God. You're at peace with who God's created you to be. You've stopped trying to be like someone else. You're at peace with the giftedness that God's put in you. And you've stopped trying to live for someone else, but you're living for God. You, You have a peace just about you and your relationship with holy God. Patience. Oh, my goodness. A lot of you had to practice patience just this past week, being with family. We, we had all of my family, went, my mom lives in assisted living, and, um, and it's really hard for her to travel, so we all went to her and, and spent time with her, and um, I was talking to my son, I said, yeah, this, this, this is expensive being in this assisted living. And I told him how much it cost a month. A month. And he's like, wow. He said, Dad, I need to ask you a question. I said, what's that? Are you expecting me to pay that when you go to one? <laughs> I said, seriously, that's what you're thinking about? Yes, the answer is yes. <laughs> and uh, anyway... I, I wanted to, you know, I was afraid my mom would get overloaded. She's almost 94 years old. And, and uh, she could be overwhelmed trying to remember everybody. But she did great. I was proud of her. And, uh, and so we, she wanted everybody to go to her room because we had reserved a room for us to be in. So everybody went down to her room. 
And the reason she wanted everybody to go to the room is because she wanted everybody to see her bed. And she started telling people, she said, now, let me tell you about this bed. And this is where this bed came from. And this bed, uh, it's at least 100 years old, but it's probably 200 years old. I'm sitting there going, what? I said, no, mom, it's like 75 years old. Well, it could be 200. And, uh, <laughs> and I want everybody to know I'm taking care of this bed and I'm keeping it in shape. And I started losing my patience and, and I'm sitting there going, and Mary's the one that kind of keeps me in place about a lot of things. And uh, she, she said, Don, she's 94 years old. Give it a break. You know, and I was like, yeah, but I got to be right. <laughs> you know, you know that feeling, but patience, patient with people that really need it. I mean, when you have Holy Spirit kind of patient, that's when you're able to be patient with us, with the individual that, that gets on your last nerve. You can't do it by your own patience, but the Holy Spirit patient can do that. Kindness, goodness, they all go together. Faithfulness, that means you're reliable. A gentleness, that doesn't mean you're a pansy. A gentleness of spirit. I, I want to tell you, the Bible says that if you're in a difficult, challenging situation and tempers start to flare up and people are getting angry with each other, in Proverbs it says, a soft word turns away wrath. And I think about this word gentleness. So the next time you get into a challenging conversation, practice this. Lower the volume of your voice. And you'll be astounded at how quickly it lowers the volume of the disagreement. Because usually one ratches it up, then the next one, and you just keep going up, and then finally you're yelling at each other. And as soon as the voices are elevated, there's no conversation or communication that's happening. Right? But if you just choose to lower your voice, all of a sudden it calms things down. Gentleness. Be gentle with people. They'll respond to that. And when I don't respond with gentleness, then I'm making it about me. I'm making it about me. And the last one is self-control. Well, that doesn't mean that you are responsible, but rather you're tapping into a power source that the Holy Spirit gives you the power to control yourself. You need to tap into that. And the way you tap into it is by simply asking him. Just say, God, I struggle with this. Will you fill me with your spirit and give me this self-control that I need? And then the power is coming from him. Verse 9 and 10, <clears throat> but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you, a biblical Christian. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. Wow. 
I can say I'm a Christian all day long. But if I do not have the spirit of Christ living in me, I don't belong to him. And I'm just a cultural Christian. And I'm going to face death only to have to experience a second death. Let's pray. Father, thank you for making it so clear about what a biblical Christian looks like. And Lord, I, I thank you that even when we struggle with our sin nature, you've already given us victory. And, and Lord, I, I know when one of the things that we do when we sin, we, we become afraid of you and we hide from you. We're afraid to, to even talk to you because we think you're mad at us. And you're not. You love us. And you proved that love through Jesus. Father, I, I pray for any person right here, right now, who they really fall in the category of being a cultural Christian. I pray that you will grip their heart about that truth because their eternal soul depends on it. <clears throat> they have not experienced true forgiveness. They do not have your spirit in them. They cannot produce the fruit of the spirit. They're only producing fake fruit, plastic fruit. It has no taste or flavor and cannot satisfy. Lord, here's the harsh reality. Every person in this room, one day is gonna stand before you. And there's only one question that's gonna matter. What did you do about Jesus? And that's it. That's all that's gonna matter. Bring light into the darkness of some of the hearts here today. In Jesus' name, amen.